0: (laughs) Thank you.
1: Welcome to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. And I especially want to thank Derek for his support Uh, We'll be sending along access to the premium site as we do with all donations of $7 or more. And you too can support the program at support.greatdetectives.net. Now uh, we near the conclusion of our program, The Big Guy, uh, with today's episode, Patent Leather Bag.
2: Tell
3: us again, Daddy. <laughs> Tell us again. Oh, no, not again. Me,
0: Daddy, how tall are you? Tell us how tall. Well,
3: I'm 20 foot 5 in my stocking feet.
0: How big are your shoes? What size do you wear? Size
3: 902 in a triple Z.
0: That's our daddy. The
2: big guy. <laughs>
4: Presents The Big Guy in the final story of the current series of adventures of a very unusual detective, Joshua Sharp. Joshua Sharp works for his clients on a strictly cash basis to provide for the needs of his nearest and dearest, Josh Jr. and his daughter Debbie. To these two, Sharp is both father and mother. To his clients, he is a good detective. To Josh and Debbie, he's the friendly magician, the fabulous hero, the giant among giants, the big guy. Tonight's adventure with the big guy, the case of the patent leather bag. One thing I've
3: always emphasized to my kids has been the importance of keeping their word. If you can't keep a promise, don't make a promise, I've always told them. But once you've given your word, be bound by it. Keep it no matter what. I didn't expect Josh and Debbie at their age to latch on it too thoroughly. My idea was to plant the seed by repetition so it would take root and flower at some later date. Certainly, I was unprepared that morning at breakfast when I suddenly noticed the enormous black eye that had blossomed on my son and heir.
0: Now, it's all right, Daddy.
3: Josh, where in the world did you get that?
0: There's nothing to worry about.
3: Maybe not for you and me, Debbie, but it's Josh's eye.
0: Well, I put a little piece of beefsteak
3: on it. A shiner like that deserves a pound of beefsteak. Who gave it to you, son? A kid. What kid?
0: Just a kid. Now tell the truth, Josh. For that horrid little Tubby Denton.
3: Tubby Denton?
0: The fat one with the stick-out teeth and front.
3: Oh, the druggist boy.
0: Yeah, the druggist boy. He just walked up to Josh. I was watching, Daddy, and he hit him in the eye. Just like that. For
3: nothing. I see. Well, son?
0: Well, what?
3: How does Tubby look?
0: He never did look very good to me.
3: No, I... You know what I mean.
0: No, I don't.
3: What did you do to him? Nothing. Huh?
0: I didn't do anything to him.
3: You mean you let another kid paste you like that and get away with it? Yeah. Why, Josh, I, I'm surprised at you. You are? Of course I am. Did you expect me to be anything else?
0: Yes, sir, I did.
3: Well, what?
0: You remember, Daddy.
3: Remember what?
0: Last week, Mrs. Tyler called up because Josh had punched Willie Tyler in the nose, and she threatened to tell the police officer.
3: Yes, I remember that. And you
0: made Josh promise not to have any more fights with anybody, ever. Oh. Under no circumstances, you said.
3: I did make you promise that, didn't I, Josh?
0: You mean you didn't remember?
3: Oh, of course. Sure, I remember. So, that's why you didn't... Well, I'm proud of you, son. I'm very proud of you. But I was also late to work, so I kissed my two goodbye and hurried down the steps. I made a mental note that I must reopen the subject of fights and make a clear distinction between unprovoked aggression and justified self-defense. I was just hurrying along the second floor corridor, I remember, when I looked up and saw Mrs. Jessup standing in her open door, looking at me with a worried frown. Mrs. Jessup was a widow and our landlady, and I stopped short at that look on her face and asked her if there was something I could do for her. She answered my question with a
2: question. Why don't you just return it, Mr. Sharp? I'm not the one to make trouble.
3: W- what's that, Mrs. Jessup?
2: Well, there's no point making mountains out of molehills, I always say. Uh,
3: I don't quite understand.
2: It's all right, Mr. Sharp. Kids will be kids. I guess we've all done worse things ourselves, if we could remember back.
3: Worse things? Worse things than what? Now,
2: don't get yourself all overwrought, Mr. Sharp. Wasn't worth a lot, just an old patent leather handbag.
3: Patent leather handbag?
2: Just junk, really. Wouldn't be seen dead carrying it around, but... Well, that's not it, you know. It's the principle of the uh, thing. Do
3: I understand you're trying to say my children stole a handbag?
2: Well, I, I don't like to say steal.
3: I hope you're prepared to say more than that, Mrs. Jessup.
2: Now, it was just as much my fault as it was theirs. They play up and down these steps all day, and I should have known enough not to go out and leave my door open.
3: Listen, Mrs. Jessup, you, you can leave your door open any time you please, day and night. Josh and Debbie would never walk into your
2: apartment. Well, I know you believe that, and it's a credit to you, Mr. Shaw. but, well, the fact remains that they did.
3: You, you mean you accuse my kids? Of... I'm
2: not accusing anybody. You
3: needn't be afraid of lawsuits, lady. That's not the point at all. I don't think in terms of libel and slander. It's understandable that a person can make an innocent mistake.
2: I'm not making a mistake, innocent or otherwise.
3: And I want details. Cold details with no more face-saving hypocrisy.
2: All right, then. You can have them, Mr. Sharp. I left the house yesterday afternoon at 3 o'clock. There was nobody here, not a soul anywhere on any of the floors. Except those two kids of yours, and they were playing here in this hall. Go on. Well, a little after 5, I got back. And the handbag was gone. So? Well, how much more do you want?
3: That's your case against my kids.
2: Well, I don't expect a father to believe bad things about his children.
3: I wouldn't believe bad things about a three-time loser on evidence like that.
2: I tell you, there wasn't another soul in the house.
3: Well, there must have been. But
2: there wasn't. Well,
3: what about the janitor?
2: Oh, Hanky wasn't here. It was his sister's birthday, and he had the afternoon off. Besides, he knew nothing about the handbag.
3: You mean Josh and Debbie did?
2: Yes, Mr. Sharp. They saw me take it out of the sideboard drawer one day last week when I gave them a nickel for sweeping up the sidewalk.
3: There was money in the bag? Oh, very little. How much?
2: Six. uh, No, five. Five one-dollar bills. But that's not the point, Mr. Sharp. There were some very valuable papers inside, uh, wrapped in a rubber band. And if they'll just return them... Oh, look.
3: If they touched anything of yours, you'll have it back in the next minute and a half. But I'll stake my life they know nothing about it.
2: Naturally. They may say so. And
3: if they do, I want it understood that they'll be telling the truth.
2: But... And
3: I'll believe them. And what's more, Mrs. Jessup, so will you. (laughs) Even as I ran back upstairs, I realized I was being completely unfair. If the kids had been alone in the house and the handbag had been stolen, the woman could be forgiven for thinking Josh and Debbie had something to do with the theft. On the other hand, I knew my kids. Somebody must have come in and taken the bag and the kids probably had seen them. Likely enough, I told myself, they'll be able to clear the situation up immediately. I opened the door and saw the children sitting on the floor, playing a quiet game of checkers. Daddy, you
0: back, Daddy? Uh, yeah. You're not sick or something?
3: Sick? Oh, no, I'm fine, baby.
0: Then why didn't you go to the office?
3: Oh, I, uh, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute. To me? To both of you.
0: What about, Daddy?
3: Well, uh, I I want you to understand that Daddy knows. Uh, I I mean, I, I don't think for a moment that... Son.
0: Yes, Daddy? Baby. What's wrong, Daddy?
3: Have have you ever, ever at any time gone into Mrs. Jessup's apartment?
0: Well, yes. Yes, we have. You
3: have? Why would you do a thing like that?
0: She's invited us in. Once we swept the sidewalks and she gave us a nickel for it.
3: Oh, you, you don't understand, baby. I mean, have you ever gone in when she's not at home?
0: No. No, we haven't.
3: I see. Yesterday afternoon at three o'clock, it seemed she went out for a while.
0: We know. We saw her. We were down there in the hall. For what? We were just playing in front of her door.
3: Uh-huh. Well, how long did you play in front of her door, sweetheart?
0: Five. Hey, so five. or Anyhow, almost. That's right. It was just about five when we went out in the sidewalk and Tubby punched me in the eye.
3: Then you must have seen him. Him? Or her. Who? The person who entered Mrs. Jessup's place at some time between three and five.
0: Oh, we didn't see a soul, did we, judge No. We didn't see anybody.
3: Well, that's not possible. Why isn't it? Because somebody, I don't know who, but somebody was in her apartment, Debbie.
0: Oh, no. No, there was Yes,
3: there was. And if you were playing in front of the door, they had to pass you. You must have seen them. But we didn't. Honey! I'm sorry, Daddy, but there just wasn't anybody in the
0: house except us all afternoon. She's right. We didn't see a soul. Oh,
3: this is just about enough to drive a man crazy.
0: What?
3: And you two didn't go into Mrs. Jessup's? No. You didn't so much as set foot inside? No,
0: Daddy. We're telling you the truth. We didn't. I'll get it. No, no.
3: You stay right where you are. And if it's Mrs. Jessup, you two go into the bedroom while I... Oh.
0: Hey, I got the stuff here your kids ordered. What? Yeah, a hunting knife and a sewing kit.
3: Who are you?
0: Delivery boy from Cross's Krause, Toy Store over on 3rd Avenue.
3: You know anything about this, Debbie?
0: Yes, Dad. We told Mr. Krause what we wanted yesterday afternoon, and he said he'd probably have them in by this morning. Yeah, that's right. So we got them in. So I brought them over. V.O.D., mister. The things are 2 dollars 5 a piece.
3: What did you say?
0: Two and a half dollars apiece. Oh, it's all right, Daddy. We've got the money. Yeah? Yeah? I give it to Daddy. Oh, wait a second. Here it is. Two dollars and a half apiece makes five.
3: Where did you get this? What, Daddy? What are you doing with five dollars?
0: Why, um... Why, uh... It's, uh... It's ours, Daddy. Ours. Hey, what about the stuff, mister? Don't
3: bother me. Yeah, but... Get out of here. Yes, <laughs>
0: Daddy,
3: kids, kids. Have I ever said no when you wanted anything in reason?
0: We didn't want anything, Daddy. It just came our way.
3: Came your way.
0: Like I told you, Daddy.
3: <laughs> you didn't take a handbag out of Mrs. Jessup's apartment.
0: Take a handbag? Gee, Daddy, that would be stealing. <laughs>
3: By the time I had gone back down to her floor and faced her, I was hot under the collar, and the words flew high and fast.
2: I'm sorry if your kids have talked you out of this, but they haven't talked me out of a thing. And
3: they don't have to.
2: We'll see about that.
3: Now look, Mrs. Jessup. I've talked to them, and you've got your answer.
2: I'll talk to them myself.
3: I advise you to lay off my kids, and I mean it.
2: I refuse to be robbed and do nothing about it.
3: Okay. Then what you need is a policeman. Where are you going? To get the cop off the beach.
2: No. No, you mustn't. You mustn't.
3: No? Well, I'm going to. Please.
2: Please, no. I'll leave the kids alone. I won't bother them. I'm sorry. I, I'm awfully sorry. Mm,
3: too late for that now. You put them under a cloud, and it'll take routine investigation to get them out. No.
0: No, Mr. Shaw. Mr. Shaw. Please. <laughs>
3: She had fallen at full length on her parlor rug, her eyes rolled back and her arms and legs stiff and rigid. I knelt over her and listened for a heartbeat. I knew she'd had some kind of attack, and while I listened, her lips moved weakly. The words were breathy but distinct.
0: Mary Fail. Mary Fail talk.
3: Stricken as she was, she was thinking clearer than I. And finding her address book, I looked under the ends. There at the top, I read Ed Merivale-John Lindsay, M.D., with an address on Justin Street and a phone number. I dialed and waited a few hundred years before there was an answer on the other end.
4: Dr. Merivale speaking.
3: Uh, this is Joshua Sharp.
4: Yes, Mr. Sharp.
3: I think you know a woman named Jessup, uh, Mrs. Irma Jessup.
4: Irma um, uh, Jessup?
3: Yes, she owns a house at 46 Tyne Avenue.
4: I don't believe I've ever heard of
3: her. Oh, and maybe your partner, Dr. Lindsay, knows her.
4: No, no, I'm quite sure he does. Well,
3: she's heard of you. She's got your name in her address book, and she needs help fast. What's the trouble? She collapsed about five minutes ago. I see.
4: Is she conscious, Mr. Sharp?
3: More or less, but she won't be conscious long.
4: Very well, sir. I'll be over in just a few moments. (laughs)
3: And he was, a tall, dignified, gray-haired man who took one look at the situation, frowned and asked to be left alone with the patient. I left him and walked up to my own flat to do a little thinking. I felt badly about the business. The woman probably had a bad ticker and I'd done her no good flying off the handle the way I did. I was just getting around to wondering why she was so afraid of the police when... Yeah? Commander? Oh, I, I meant to phone you, Risky. Well, what's
4: happened? I, I thought you were coming to the office early.
3: No, I, I've i had a bad morning. Oh.
4: Anything I can
3: do? No, I, I don't think so, Risky.
4: <laughs> Take a chance and ask.
3: Well, I'm interested in finding a black patent leather handbag.
4: What?
3: It was stolen from the apartment of my landlady, Mrs. Irma Jessup, at 46 Tyne Avenue, sometime between 3 and 5 yesterday afternoon.
4: Hmm? Well, could I... Ask you why you should bother your
3: head? My head's already bothered. The woman has been flinging accusations. Well, at who? I, uh, I can't say right now. No? No, I, I'm not alone. You,
4: you mean she's accusing the kids?
3: You're sharp as a tack, chum. Well,
4: but why did she pick
3: on them? And there wasn't anybody else in the house at the time. Well,
4: what to have stopped the second story man from coming in?
3: Nothing that I can think what of.
4: you just hold your hat, Commander? I'll check around among some friends of mine I shouldn't have. I'll see if I can
3: get a lead. I don't know how long I sat by the phone, carefully avoiding the necessity of letting the kids know about what had developed below before there was a knock at the door. I opened it to see Dr. Merivale standing outside in the hall. One look at his face, and I stepped out and closed the door behind me. I suppose you couldn't
4: have called me any sooner than you did. It wasn't soon enough? She suffered a sudden and severe heart attack. She's dead? Yes. You happen to know who's the next of kin?
3: I have no idea. Maybe your partner does.
4: My partner? Uh, Lindsay. Oh, oh yes, of course. Well, I can ask him.
3: And will you call me back? Of
4: course. Perhaps I can leave the death certificate in your care. If you want to. It would be convenient.
3: Well, then I'll hear from you.
4: I'll call you back sometime in the next three hours.
3: Oh, Thanks, Doc. Uh, oh, uh, if by any chance one of the kids answers the phone, don't let on that the lady's dead. Uh, certainly not. I- I'll break it to them myself
4: uh, in time.
3: I understand.
0: Daddy?
3: Yes, baby? What's the matter? Nothing at all that outside? Uh, just a man, a fellow I know. Is
0: there anything
3: in here? Oh, why should there be? Excuse me, kids. Yeah?
4: Look, Commander, I I did a little snooping. Well? well? I can't put my fingers on that handbag, but I got something for you.
3: Yeah? Word got to me through one of my contacts that for a few bucks,
4: a certain character will tell a little story about that lady at 46 Hyde Avenue.
3: Uh, about Mrs. Jessup. Ha, uh, uh,
4: so goes the report.
3: I don't quite follow.
4: Well, neither do I. I'm, I'm But in case you're interested in taking a cab to the Rutley Hotel that's at 104th Street, that guy's name is Bowden. Bowden? Matt Bowden. And he keeps house in room 51. <laughs>
3: I took a cab then to the Rutley Hotel and asked for Mr. Bowden. I was told that Mr. Bowden wasn't in his room and that I could wait in the dingy, narrow little lobby. I just sat down and was opening a newspaper when a voice said quietly... Uh, You're
0: Sharp? Who are you? There was a detective named Sharp who was coming to see
3: me. I thought maybe you was him. Are you Mac Bowden? Oh, Then you are him, huh? Oh, what's this highly touted story about Irma Jessup? Uh, Look, could you keep your voice down? Down? Uh, Oh, all right. But nobody's listening. Yeah, somebody might. Look,
0: I got a room rent bill here for 120 bucks, Mr. Sharp.
3: Oh, that's your asking price?
0: That's the rock bottom final figure.
3: Well, I'd have to get it out of the bank. Uh, It ain't
0: three o'clock yet.
3: What reason have I got to think you know anything worth that much dough?
0: Well, I spent ten years in Atlanta Penn on a robbery charge.
3: How does that concern Irma Jessup?
0: I ain't saying who it concerns. But for the hundred and twenty, I'll spin you a yarn to open your eyes. All right. Stay
3: right here. You coming back? Yes. With the dough? With the money.
0: <gasps> Boom!
3: The bullets had come blazing down from the dark rickety balcony that ringed the Rutley lobby, and Bowden crashed to the unswept floor at my feet and died there. The killer had his exit planned so well that the balcony was deserted by the time I found the stairs and stumbled up in the (laughs) half-light. An hour later, I was back at 46 Tyne Avenue, ransacking Mrs. Jessup's belongings and finding nothing to clear the air. I was just settling back to take a breather when. Hello? Mrs.
4: Armut Jessup,
3: please. Who's this?
4: Dr. George Huddleston. I'd like to speak with Mrs. Jessup, please.
3: I'm afraid you can't do that.
4: I want to find out how she's feeling.
3: Well, you can't do that either, Dr. Huddlestone. She's dead. What's that? She died this morning of a heart attack.
4: If this is supposed to be humor, it's not funny.
3: It isn't humor. It's fact.
4: It is not a fact, sir. No? I happen to have been in her position for years. Given her rather unpleasant nervous seizures, But a fatal heart attack. Out of the
3: question. Now, listen.
4: You listen. I examined her only three days ago. Our heart was as sound as yours
3: or mine. I sat for some time, puzzled, reaching out for something to add up and get a sensible answer. Then I picked up the phone and dialed Maryvale's office. The secretary answered and said he wasn't in. He should call back,
0: shortly. Sure, I'm telling you want to talk
3: to him. Uh, perhaps I could talk to Dr. Lindsay then. Dr. Lindsay.
0: Who is
3: Dr. Lindsay? Isn't he Merivale's partner? Dr.
0: Maryvale has no partner.
3: I hung up slowly, and I took Mrs. Jessop's telephone list in hand and turned to the M's again. There it was, Ed Maryvale-John Lindsay, M.D. Studying the names closely, it suddenly hit me. If Marivale and Lindsay had been partners, she would have listed them as MDs. Here, plainly written, was MD, singular, without an S. And I knew that for one reason or another, Marivale and Lindsay were two names for the same man. I thought back over the morning, Mrs. Jessup's wild concern for an old handbag, her death, Marivale's diagnosis, and Bowden's sudden murder. And then I remembered Bowden's hint about having been in the penitentiary at Atlanta... So I phoned Captain Murphy at Homicide to do a bit of research. When I hung up, I climbed the stairs to where Josh and Debbie were still quietly playing checkers.
0: You don't have to worry, Daddy.
3: Don't I, baby?
0: We told you the truth about the handbag. We didn't touch it. Uh,
3: I don't want to know about the handbag anymore. No? No, I'm sure you told me the truth about it. But I'm also sure that, for some reason or another... You, well, you you lied to me about something else. Look, children, Mrs. Jessup is dead.
0: Yes. And
3: she was murdered.
0: Mrs. Jessup?
3: And a little while ago, a man was murdered, too. He wasn't a good man, but he was killed like a dog.
0: I, I don't understand, Daddy.
3: Nobody's too sure of anything yet. And I'm only sure of one point.
0: What's that?
3: I'm sure that you two did see somebody enter the ladies' apartment yesterday afternoon. Oh, no. Now, be careful, sweetheart. There's a lot involved here. The person you saw murdered Mrs. Jessup and the man. Do you understand, Debbie, Josh? Just a minute. Hello. Josh. Yes.
4: Captain, Must.
3: Oh, yes, Captain.
4: Uh, information from Atlanta. Good. They've got a record on John... It seems he was put away in 1930, for ten years, for medical malpractice.
3: Well, thanks, Captain.
4: Anything else we can do?
3: Oh, I'll let you know later. Oh, what a headache.
0: Daddy? Oh, Daddy?
3: Debbie, Josh, now I must know who passed you yesterday afternoon and went into Mrs. Jessup's apartment. You must tell me. Do you understand? You must do as I tell you.
0: We're doing as you tell us. Well, anyway, we're doing as you told us. What? Well, didn't you say that your word is your bond? And that once you give it, you should stick by it no matter what it means?
3: Why, yes, I did.
0: We didn't know him. He came up the stairs and saw us. and said he'd give us five dollars if we'd give our word, never to say we saw him. And we gave our word. We gave it. And now we've broken
3: it. No, no, baby. (laughs) Who was the man you saw?
0: We don't know. We don't.
4: I got your message, Mrs. Sharp.
3: Josh. Daddy. Daddy. Yes, son? It was... It was him! Okay, Josh, and you really haven't broken your word. I've known it for quite a while. What is all this, Sharp? I've known that you murdered Mrs. Jessup, Dr. Merivale... Well, how dare you say such a thing? You killed her when you sent me out of her flat. It was too good a chance to miss. She was unconscious, and all you had to do was not administer to her. Let her die. Which was murder just the same as if you used a knife or gun. You must be insane, Sharp. Why should I have done a thing like that? Because she had proof that you'd been imprisoned for malpractice years ago under your real name of John Lindsay. This proof was in the handbag that you stole yesterday from her flat. And today, with everything fitting your purposes... You let her die because you were afraid you might continue to work her little blackmail racket. Do I look like a man who could commit murder? Frankly, no. But your killer instinct definitely asserted itself later today when you had to do away with your ex-cellmate, Mac Bowden, in order to finish this whole nasty business. Do you think you can prove this? I know I can. Then I must ask you to put up your hand. Steady, <laughs> oh, Steady. Steady, kids. It's all right. Don't get scared. Nothing's going to happen. I wish you were right, Sharp. I don't relish this or anything I've had to do, but it's been forced on me. You wouldn't really kill again. What choice have I? Hey,
0: listen, what about that COD? Look
3: out! (laughs) Maryvale swung around at the sound of the voice, firing a bullet that went high and wild, and I jumped him, knocked the gun from his hand, and the crisis was over. I left the kids alone for the few minutes it took me to get him to headquarters, and then I hopped the cab back and climbed the stairs to our flat. The kids were looking at their new toys, the knife and the sewing kit. They were pleased enough, but they looked a little guilty. I could see it and feel it.
0: What's going to happen to that man, Daddy?
3: Uh, don't you worry about him, son. But
0: we can't help it, Daddy. We promised we wouldn't tell.
3: It's all right for you to tell. It was the only thing to do.
0: But you taught us never to make a promise unless we could keep it.
3: Well, there are some times when you should break a promise.
0: Well, that's confusing.
3: (laughs) Yes, I know.
0: You always tell us about how important it is to keep our word.
3: Well, circumstances alter cases, son. That is, in some degree. It depends on who you give your word to.
0: That's hard to understand. It's awful hard.
3: You want to know something else that's hard to understand? What? What, Dad? How I ever managed to get two wonderful kids like you. This is Josh Sharp Sr. saying goodbye for Debbie and Josh Jr. and me as we come to the end of our current series. We all hope that you have enjoyed our stories, and if you'd like to hear more of them, please write and tell us about it. Just write to me, the big guy, here of NBC, New York. We'd like very much to hear from you. Debbie? Josh? How about it? Oh, we would, Daddy,
0: we would! Yes, Daddy. And goodbye, everybody.
3: Goodbye. goodbye.
2: Bye. goodbye. bye,
3: bye. Bye.
4: NBC has presented the last of a series of adventures of The Big Guy, played by Henry Calvin and featuring David Anderson as Josh Jr. and Joan Laser as Debbie. The script was written by Peter Barry and directed by Thomas Madigan. The music was composed and played by Jack Ward. Members of the cast were Anita Anton, Joseph Bell, Bill Gray, Burford Hampton, and Sandy Strauss as Risky Skinner. Your announcer is Peter Roberts. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Joan Fontaine and Herbert Marshall star in tonight's Theater Guild on the Air presentation of the fascinating love story, Michael and Mary. Another Sunday evening favorite is the authentic drama series, Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McCrae as a member of the nation's oldest police force. That's top Sunday evening listening on NBC tonight. Charlie Wild Private Eye follows on NBC. Welcome back. Well, I
1: thought actually... Pretty nice uh, twist, um, and uh, I think that uh, it really was um, uh, an interesting and very different um, sort of program uh, with its look at a uh, detective who uh, was also a father trying to instill the right values uh, in his kids. And, you know, and in so many ways, Joshua Sharp, such a, uh, model, uh, and a very dedicated parent, uh, which makes for a very interesting character. I definitely wish we had more episodes of the show and that it had made it more, uh, longer, uh, lasting, of course, as it was only six months, which was pretty common for a lot of NBC mystery programs at the time. Well, that will actually uh, finish us up for today. N- coming next Tuesday, it'll be Mr. Moto. And uh, join us tomorrow for Part 3 and Part 4 of the Henderson matter. In the meantime, uh, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net and be sure and rate the show on iTunes. Uh, from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.